So continuing in our series on the Acts of the Apostles, we come to chapter 6. In our passage today, we'll be reading about events that arose because of a complaint by a group called the Hellenists. Now, the Hellenists are a group of Jews whose primary language is Greek. They speak Hebrew, but their primary language is Greek. And they had, they had picked up the language in many elements of the culture when they had left Judea during the diaspora, the dispersing from their homeland. But being Jews, they returned to Judea, to Jerusalem, to the place of their people. But they came speaking Greek and practicing a mix of Greek and Jewish culture. And so they were, they were kind of on the outside They were kind of on the outside. They they didn't hold as high a view of the temple as traditional Jews did. They they weren't as focused on the law as maybe the traditional Jews were. And this caused them to not be as accepted by the brethren in their homeland. They were outsiders. But their views on the temple and the law also made them much more open to the message of Christianity. And so they became a growing and budding force in the early church. Still, we don't overcome cultural differences in a day. And there were some conflicts that arose between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. How the dispute was settled speaks wisdom and grace into our church today. So let's read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Praise in your name. Antoine Fisher is the true story of a young man abandoned at birth by an incarcerated woman who was raised in abusive orphanages, foster homes, and reform schools. After his 18th birthday, he joins the Navy, where his anger towards life brims to the surface. After several fights, he's ordered to undergo counseling. Psychologist Jerome Davenport encourages Antoine to find his roots to begin healing. After several phone calls, he he reaches one aunt and uncle in Cleveland who escort him to a dilapidated apartment complex where his estranged mother lives. 
A suspicious and aloof woman opens the door. Upon realizing that Antoine is the child she gave up at birth, she retreats to another room and sits down on a soiled and worn couch and cries silently. Antoine asks for some explanation as to why she never came to rescue him or why she never sought him out. She cannot answer. She simply stares ahead, not daring to look at him, tears rolling down her expressionless face. He gently kisses her on the cheek as if to say, I forgive you, and he walks away. His mother remains on the couch and stares at nothing, making no effort to respond. A despondent fisher leaves the apartment with his questions unanswered and rides back to his aunt's house, his aunt's and uncle's house, with his uncle, feeling alone and unwanted and like he doesn't belong anywhere. Have you ever felt like Antoine Fisher? Maybe not to that extreme, maybe not in that exact circumstance, but do we, do we sometimes feel like he feels here? Like we just don't belong. Belonging. Feeling like a member of a group, like we are part of a greater whole. Feeling like we belong is incredibly important for us as humans. And in 2014, Psychology Today released an article, and in the article it states, a sense of belonging is a human need, just like the need for food and shelter. Feeling that you belong is most important in seeing value in life and in coping with intensely painful emotions. Some find belonging in a church, some with friends, some with family, and some on Twitter or other social media. Belonging. We as people, as humans, we feel the need to belong. It's a basic human need. We tie our sense of value to it. So in some ways, in, in, in some areas, in some angles, it's, it's more important than our need to eat. Our need to having a, a safe place to stay. Belonging. In our passage today, the Hellenists didn't feel like they belonged. They started as outsiders, people that were culturally different, spoke a different language, had a funny accent compared to, to everyone else, and they were trying to figure out how they fit in. Right? They didn't really know how they fit in. And then their widows started being neglected in the daily distribution so the daily distribution was a, a once-a-week distributing of food as, as well as possibly clothing and some money, depending on the need. And it was given to widows, those whose husbands had passed, and so therefore had no other opportunity or means to provide for themselves. I mean, it's a very good thing. This is, this is an important thing. This is very, very good. The community is looking out for those in need, especially those from their community, their group, those that, you know, belonged. And the Hellenists raise a complaint because their widows are being neglected in the distribution. They're being neglected in the distribution. So their widows aren't getting what they should be getting. 
They don't feel like they belong in the first place. And now they're not, they feel even more alienated. They feel even more like outsiders because they're being neglected in, in something that is supposed to be like, it's a good thing. It's supposed to attribute, contribute to the feeling of belonging, being cared for, being loved, being wanted. And yet they're being neglected. Do you ever feel neglected in a group that you feel like you belong to? Do you ever feel neglected in the church? There's a common saying about churches. It's not true for every church. But it is, it is true for many churches. And the saying goes like this. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. And what that means is that it's basically the same group of people that kind of make the church run, right? That grease the wheels, that, that make the church go. You know, they're almost on every committee. They're involved in pretty much all the ministries. They're heavenly involved in, in leadership. Now, again, it's not true for every church, but it is true for many churches, Often when we think of this dynamic, this 10% of the people doing 90% of the work, it's because we think that nobody else wants to be involved. That nobody else is taking ownership. And, you know, it's, it's just this 10%. And in, in many cases, that can be a large part of the dynamic. But another element of the equation is that sometimes... That 10% isn't willing to let go of things to give other people ownership. They're unwilling to let others lead and change what has been the norm. So they hold on to their ideas, and this prevents others from getting involved. It can prevent others from belonging. Neither scenario is a good one. Neither scenario is a healthy one. So how did the church in the early church deal with this issue. First, they realized that it was a two-sided issue. They recognized that there should be no neglect in the distribution. That all of the widows should be getting help, should be getting the food and clothes and the money that they needed. And then there was the issue of overseeing the distribution in the first place and making sure that this ministry was being run effectively. So how did they do it? Verses 2 to 4 we read, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They started by saying, yeah, something needs to be done, Right? We don't, we don't see it implicitly stated, but we know that this is the conclusion that they came to based off of how they approached the problem. In their response to the issue, they are stating that this neglect should not be happening. This cannot be happening, and this is an issue that needs to be addressed. These widows should not be neglected in the ministry of distrib- distribution just because they sound different or have cultural differences. For all of us are part of the kingdom of God. We are all 
part of the church and nobody should be excluded for cultural reasons. In fact, the opposite should be happening. We are the church. And so we should be going to great lengths to make sure that all cultures feel welcome and that they belong. God has not built his church to be a place of divisions and separate groupings, but a place of unity, of belonging. And so the 12, the apostles, they addressed that issue first. Something needs to be done. And then comes the issue of who should be making sure that this ministry is run effectively. Who should be in charge? The initial call of the people is that the 12 should be running the ministry. And we see that in their response. They say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, off the cuff, that can, I mean, that can seem a little off-putting, right? It seems a little maybe narcissistic. I don't know. Like, what, what do they think they're too good for that? You think, you think you're too good for that or what? Or are, are they too good, too important as, as individuals, as people, that they don't need to help? And what they appear to, con- to consider, like, a, maybe, that, maybe they just think it's a lowly ministry. Like, why, why are they having this approach? Don't, maybe, maybe they don't want to get their, you know, their hands dirty, messing around with the commoners. Like, what, what's going on? Why, why are they saying that, that they shouldn't be the ones waiting tables, as it were? It can feel like their response brings us right back to causing division. That's where, that's where we can go right away. We can look at it in that sense. To, to breaking the church into segments, into groups where, where one is more important than the other. No, that's not my job. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm above that. It can feel like that's where they're going, but, but you know, that's not how the church runs. And that's not what the disciples are saying here. In a seminar he gave a few months back talking about plugging people into ministry, but not just what we may consider ministry with outreach and evangelism, but also other things like making and folding bulletins and setting up for church in the morning. Ed Stetzer made these comments. All of God's people are to be used by God in ministry in some way. I don't know any denominational, traditional, or tradition that wouldn't want, theologically and practically, more people to use their gifts to serve God and to serve others. Wouldn't want more people to use their gifts to serve God and to serve others. And later in that seminar, he took it a step further to say that by doing things that others can be doing, we are keeping, preventing them from being involved in ministry. Now, it took me some time to get behind what he was saying. Was, I mean, it was, a bit, it was a bit of a tough pill to swallow. But he wasn't wrong. The apostles make that clear in our text this morning. They, they aren't saying that they individually are too important to wait tables. They were saying that the call that God had given them to preach the word shouldn't be interrupted, shouldn't be stopped, so that they can wait tables. Again, not because they are so important, but because God desires to use all of his people in ministry. 
He desires to use all of his people in his mission to bring about his kingdom. 10% of the people shouldn't be doing 90% of the work. If that is the case, then leadership is not stepping aside to allow others to fill roles. And some are not responding to where they are being called to plug in. Every one of us is called to be a part of the ministry. Whether that's folding bulletins, setting up for communion, cleaning up after potlucks, running sound in the back, serving in the nursery, etc. There are so many places for us to plug in. And as we grow, there will be so many more opportunities for us to use the gifts God has given us for his glory in his mission. Every one of us belongs. Every one of us belongs. And where we plug in right now isn't something that we are locked into. God will continue to work on us, to grow us in our gifts and push us into new and sometimes uncomfortable areas. Just because we serve in one area of ministry doesn't mean God isn't going to call us into another area of ministry. That's one of the things that really hit me about this passage. In our passage today, this group in the early church picked out seven men. And among them were Stephen and Philip. And they gave them the task of overseeing the distribution. And the ministry flourished. But Stephen and Philip, they didn't didn't stop there. They too ended up called to preach the word. In the next chapter of Acts, chapter 7, we read about Stephen's story. And next week, we'll be looking at Philip and and his story in chapter 8. Though they were once part of the distribution, they ended up handing those roles to others. That those new servers would find place in ministry. Since God had called Stephen and Philip to new roles. There is a role for each of us in God's mission. We all belong in the ministry of the church. We all belong in the family of God. Belonging. Antoine Fisher's uncle parked the car in the driveway and Antoine got out. As he walked towards the door, his slow gait betrays the loneliness of a man with no hope of a meaningful connection to anyone. As Antoine enters the front door, however, his world changes. He is met with a chorus of cheers from 50-plus relatives, all waiting to meet Antoine for the first time. Their children... Couples, cousins, uncles, and family friends all smothering him with hugs, slaps on the back, and beaming smiles. One cousin tells him his name is Edward and says, I'm named after your dad. And an older aunt squeezes his cheeks. Antoine takes it all in, overwhelmed. The hallway stairs are filled with kids holding up signs with his name scribbled next to Crayola sketched smiley faces and rainbows. He is then led into the next room where a grand feast is spread across a long table. The table is overflowing with chicken, mashed potatoes, pancakes, fruit salad, and every other possible dish. The room is prepared for a party. 
for the first time in his life, he is being adored. For the first time, he belongs. As the clamor quiets, an elderly woman sitting sitting behind the table knocks to get Antoine's attention and then waves for him to come over to sit next to her. With slow, deliberate moves, she raises her arm, grabbing his hands and then caressing his face. A slow tear runs down her cheek and with a raspy voice that seemed as if it was mustering all of the strength it possessed, she whispered, The redemptive invitation, welcome, welcome, you belong here with us. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if your basic need to belong has been met or if it has been neglected. I don't know if you feel loved, appreciated, or respected. I don't know if you feel like you belong anywhere or with anyone. If this is you today, let me assure you that you belong. You belong in the family of God. The Bible reminds us over and over of God's love for us. His desire for us to be in relationship with him. The great lengths that he went through that we might be with him. Not because of what we have done or because of how good we are, but because he loves us. Because we belong with him. God is calling you into relationship with him, into deeper relationship with him. And you belong in this church. Many of us here come from different backgrounds culturally. And maybe you feel like the Hellenists. You feel like a bit of an outsider trying to figure out how to fit in. Let me assure you that you belong in just, just like the Hellenists did. And we are so excited that you are here. And we are so excited to see how God wants to use you, each of you, each of us, in his mission to bring about his kingdom. You belong. You belong here at Calvary, but more importantly, you belong in the family of God. So welcome. Welcome. Amen.